Welcome back, everybody. Today on the guidebook, I've got my dear friend, Shelby Polk. Y'all, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She is such a gem, and I can't wait for you to meet her. We talked for two hours, <laughs> so I've split our casual conversation up into two separate episodes. The second episode will air next week. Shelby is a freelance writer, book nerd, and world traveler. She's traveled with friends and solo, both internationally and around the U.S. She's written some amazing stuff, so go check out her portfolio in the show notes if you're curious. In this episode, we talk about how Shelby got started freelance writing. We also discuss our opinions on low-paying freelance work, what really gets our goat, and how she budgets for travel. She visited four other countries this year and took four domestic trips too. We had so much fun recording this episode and I hope you love it as much as I do. But two quick notes before we dive in. If you wanna help the show, I'd love it if you'd rate, review, and subscribe or follow the guidebook on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're on Spotify, I post interactive questions about the episode every single week and you can just scroll down in your Spotify app to answer them or vote in our polls. It helps other people find our show so they can enjoy it too. And even better, if you wanted to, you could share this episode with a friend who you think might enjoy it. I'd really love that. Uh, lastly, we talk about money in this episode quite a bit and also in the next episode. I have to let you know, this is not financial advice. We're not financial experts. If you need help with your finances, please find a credible licensed professional who can help you. We're just talking about our experiences and what worked for us. All right, let's hear it already. This is my interview with Shelby Polk. This is the guidebook. We're sharing tips for freelancers, raw conversations with risk takers, how to become a digital nomad, and the emotions behind it all. I'm your host, Rachel. On the show, I share everything I've learned in the past five years of freelancing and living nomadically, showing you how you can work to live instead of living to work. I'm interviewing some of my favorite digital nomads and entrepreneurs to help you unlock your bravest self. If you want to become a freelancer or a digital nomad, this is the podcast for you. Hello, everyone. My name is Shelby Polk. She, her. I'm a freelancer based in Durham. Been kind of freelancing on and off since 2017. I was really bad when I started, but just got serious about it, like, honestly, at the beginning of the pandemic. I finished a job in August 2019, a one-year contract at a newspaper, and decided I was going to go back on my own. And that was a horrible time to start doing that. It's a hard time. But here we are, <laughs> three years later, almost four years later, and uh, making it work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so to take it all the way back, um, I studied literature and international studies in college. Um, and whenever somebody would make the joke to me like, oh, so you're going to work at Starbucks, I would get really mad at them. <laughs> but I did an internship right out of school in nonprofit communications in Asia. And it was amazing, but I realized, you know, what I loved about it was writing. But I wanted to, you know, broaden the scope of what I was doing a little bit. I loved the organization I worked for. I loved the stories we were telling. But I was like, no, I want to do journalism. I want to report on this stuff. So I went back to Dallas, where I'm from, and um, I actually did work in a coffee shop for a minute. <laughs> I, I mean, I did work at Starbucks. We've all worked in coffee shops. It's not bad to have a backup skill. That's yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah. Or to have one that like keeps you grounded outside your computer, too. Yeah. I stand by that. Yeah. But 
<laughs> I was actually, I was working in this coffee shop, started networking, you know, with my other English major friends, my other writer friends. I'd worked in school newspapers, school, helped start the school satire paper. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, school Lit Mag, you know, I'd done all of it. So I got my first couple gigs there, actually wearing my nonprofits t-shirt mm -hmm. while I was baristaing one day. I met my first nonprofit communications client. That's incredible. Yeah, like two or three of them. You know, just the coffee shop I went to happened to host a lot of their meetings. And so I started doing some work for them that let me coffee, even though it was great, um, <laughs> and write full time, which I then translated into a year long fellowship at a newspaper um, where I got much quicker, much better writer. It was a great experience. But I, again, at the end of it was like, mm, I would rather figure out my own way to yeah. do things than write for newspaper. <laughs> Newspapers are really hard. You really have to like want to be writing for a newspaper yeah. to do it yeah. at this point. Have to love the reporting. And yeah. all I loved was the writing. Yeah. Hated calling people. I loved my coworkers, but I hated some of the structure of the company too. And you know, the big, the owning company made some decisions that I could not understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you know, the reporters and editors that I met and talked to every day were incredible. Uh, but yeah, so I've been on my own since the end of 2019, totally freelancing full time with some, again, backup skills. I've done a little bit of retail. I did a little bit of SAT tutoring. Now I am reporting about books. That's not true. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> you sort of are. I'm doing literary coverage, but reporting is a strong word for what I'm doing. I'm interviewing <laughs> authors mostly and, you know, making lists of books and getting to write about books, which is, I, it is a niche so perfect I could not have imagined it existed in college when and I studied it's not it. the easiest niche to break into no <laughs> I'm realizing that damn bro yeah it took a long time and it took a lot of really underpaid work too which is something that like I don't know it's so hard to suggest that it's right. hard to break into a niche, especially if you have no experience, mm -hmm. without doing work that's gonna be low pay, right. unfortunately. Right. You can do it without doing free work, mm. but you're not gonna immediately get paid $55 an hour if you have no experience. Right. You're breaking into a niche that is like, literature in general yeah. is a very small industry revenue-wise. Yeah. So it's hard to like get a piece of that pie. It is, it is. Yeah, the reporting on books is shrinking, which sucks really hard. But yeah, I did, you know, I wrote articles for $25. I wrote articles for a hundred. I still do that occasionally for publications that I love that like helped me get started. When people ask me about freelancing and how to get started, it, it feels wrong to say you're going to have to take some jobs that pay shit. It's in my opinion, just the truth. Like if you're not going to take jobs that aren't going to pay you super well in the beginning, it's going to take you a lot longer to gain traction and you're not going to be able to get the jobs that you want in the future, unfortunately. I, I do, yeah, you've got to have the clips. You've got to have the proof that you can do it. And, and I think, you know, if you're trying to take a step up with every single publication or every single client, that's awesome. But you do have to start low enough that they'll let you get some bylines, mm -hmm. which I think is another argument in favor of like retail and coffee and things that like can help you or keeping a career and starting to do this on the side, right? Like, yeah, I started freelancing as a barista as well. Yeah. I will say though, like I got laid off from my barista job because of COVID. I think if I hadn't gotten laid off, 
I never would have gone full-time freelance mm. because I was scared and I was yeah. just sort of like constantly doing the bare minimum. Yeah. And when I got laid off, it became very apparent to me very quickly that I had to like fucking try hard yeah. and probably fail. And like, that's scary, dude. I spent like three months, I kid you not, ask my roommate, I spent three months sitting at our kitchen table at the beginning of COVID looking at my computer. I had freelance gigs from Upwork, but I'd never gotten a gig off of Upwork and my Upwork gigs were shit. And I spent three months sitting in front of my computer looking at LinkedIn, knowing I had just read like a bunch of stuff about like sending letters of introduction on LinkedIn and that you can get clients that way. But it is, it was an experiment. Like I didn't have the resources. There were no templates. There was nobody being like, this is the etiquette. This is when you follow up. It was just like, you should try using LinkedIn. I'll try it. And I sat there for so long being like, I'm gonna send them today. <laughs> and it like just one, which will do absolutely nothing for you. Like you need yeah. to send like a hundred for oh something to do for something for you. And my roommate one day was like, just fucking send it already. What's gonna happen? Literally nothing. She also was the first person to teach me that your first impression with somebody doesn't have to be your last impression. Ooh. And it doesn't have to be true that like, just because like she is the reason I follow up ruthlessly because like, I really thought like, oh, okay, well, if they didn't respond to my follow-up, they don't want to work with me. Right. And that's not true at all. I've had right. clients that I follow up with quarterly for a year and a half. Yeah. And suddenly on the fifth time, they're like, oh, perfect timing. I really need a writer. Thanks for being persistent. Yeah. You know, yeah. they didn't respond to me a single time mm. before that. That but. that does put me in mind of a client that I want, that we've talked about, that I need to follow <laughs> up with one last time. Everybody cl- cross your fingers. Like, no, totally. And that's what you're, you're so good at that. For me, it's all been pretty much in-person networking is how I got enough to survive. And then once I had a few things, I could leverage that. And yeah. it didn't matter where they were. As yeah. long as it's work you're proud of and work that like you stand behind. You know, I, I got paid $100 for an article that I have leveraged into tens of thousands in a relationship with another client because it was a good enough article and it was exactly what they were looking for, you know? Yeah. It, it, it sucks to start small and then know when to take the leap because you do have to at some point. You have to at some point cut it off, but also you're never gonna feel ready. There's never gonna be a right time. And when you make the transition, almost always, you're not gonna feel like you have enough money. Yeah. Like you could save $20,000 in your savings account and yeah. still feel like you don't have enough money. It's a money mindset thing. You yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, you've gotten so used to whatever job you're in, whatever career you're in, right? Mm-hmm. There's never a right time. There's just when you decide to do it. Yeah. And I think that's the best part of having community in the transition with like Camp Moxie and Pop Club and all of these things, everyone in there pretty much has another job Mm -hmm. and all of them are like, I would not have made it this far this fast and I don't think I would have felt confident in leaving my job if I had been doing this on my own, even if I had done all of this work that we just did on my own. In the beginning, I was absolutely fearless. I think because I was, you know, 24 mm-hmm. and I wasn't worried about money. I'd never thought about investing. And now I'm like, oh, how's my Roth IRA doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. you have pretty affordable rent too. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I live low budget because I have more anxiety now than I did at 24. But like, I remember I got my first consistent client. I knew I'd be getting a thousand dollars a month from them. And then like, I had a couple extra to where it was like maybe almost 2K. And this was like 2017, 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Bye, barista I don't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. And booked a flight to Europe. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that, actually. So you immediately spent all your money. I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that freedom 
and, and that early experience of freedom was really good and really formative and like has set the tone for how I want to live my life mm -hmm. and like build my career around the rest of my life. But I don't suggest that. <laughs> It's also reminiscent of like when we met, mm -hmm. you were working for North Carolina Health News, yeah. literally just because yes. it was consistent and uh -huh. it's what you knew and they were taking up so much of your time that you didn't feel like you had time to go get other clients. And it was journalism adjacent, but I wasn't writing. I was learning, I was learning audience stuff that I should probably start like using, yeah. but, yeah. Uh, yeah. but like we talked about you leaving that job for months Yeah. and I call it a job cause like it was a contract gig, but mm -hmm. like it was pretty much a job. Yeah. It was a part-time job. I will yeah. say that probably. Yeah. yeah. Just contract version. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I really think the pandemic gave me a lot of anxiety about money. Totally. Working Same. at a newspaper and being underpaid there and then going straight into the pandemic, it was like, well, I can't leave what I have. And it has been nothing bad to say about North Carolina Health News, but it was not what I wanted to do. Yeah. And now I'm getting to actually write for all kinds of great clients. You never would have gotten Shondaland if you didn't leave that job. Why did you leave? <sighs> I left because I felt, you know, honestly, the real kicker was a couple really, really good months. A couple like seven to nine K months of work that I was interested in and not just work that was there. And so, you know, I think where I'm at in my career is still working on developing like your outreach and your business skills, but I've hit this level of, I don't have to take the poorly paid work anymore because yeah. I have the proof that yeah. I know what I'm doing. And that took several years. And you like, have the bylines from the right places. Yes. That makes yes. such a difference. I have a portfolio that impresses me. And that is, yeah. you know, what you need to be confident reaching for these higher things. So I don't have to take anything anymore. But did you feel ready? Um, so I had a couple of really good months. I had some good momentum. I was doing work that I was much more interested in. And it felt safe enough to take the leap into unsafe. <laughs> uncertainty? uncertainty makes more sense but it unsafety is like really what, what I was feels. feeling yeah, yeah. I was starting to build not just clips I was proud of because they were good clips but like exactly what I wanted to do so I I interviewed Otessa Moshbeg that summer. I wrote like a book for Rebel Girls. I wrote half of one of their books That's and amazing. it was so fun. I'm working on another one right now. Wow, yeah. That's so but you know, I had gotten these amazing gigs and then also mm -hmm. that is, I think right a couple months into me being in pop club mm -hmm. and like, yeah, I'd been freelancing for a few years, but like it hadn't been a systemic, I, I have goals. I know how much I can make. I know how much I'm worth. I have this community of other people, you know, like that really did give me the confidence to walk away from work that was there in search of work that I really wanted to do. And it wasn't, you know, I was great. I was gaining great skills at North Carolina Health News, but it wasn't writing. It was, it was all audience. And you know, you were so underpaid too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there was, I also had a really interesting conversation, not to tangent, but like my number one advice to anybody trying to freelance, meet as many freaking people as you can, yeah. go to as much as you can. I went to a thing with North Carolina Health News, a local news gathering, you know, all of the news sites were there. Just talk to journalists, talk to other audience engagement. And I was talking to a guy who works at the TV station here who had worked in news in New York. And there's always a little bit in the back of my mind, like, do I need to move to a bigger market? Like, do I need to move to where the editors I want to work with are? And at this point, my networking has gotten me in with a bunch of the editors that I want to work with, at least 
introduction wise, but it would have probably been quicker if much more stressful due to cost of living. But anyways, I'm talking to this guy about moving to New York <laughs> and he, he's, he was saying like, you know, the best are there in the media business. You know, the best writers are going to be there. And so when you do get work, you know, you're the right person for it, which yeah. is really interesting. And the thing he said that stuck with me, cause I think I was telling him about doing audience engagement and I was like, I don't know, like it's good for now, but I really want to be writing. He looked me in the eyes and he said, don't get good at something you hate. And I have thought about that so much. Freelancing is such a balance of the work you have to do, especially at first, mm -hmm. and even outside of freelancing, mm -hmm. these other gigs and the work you want to do. Focus your energy and your skill set on what you want to do. Get good at the things you love, like, and yeah. there is a market for it out there. Yeah. I think there's always a market for what you want to do, but when you're first starting out, you have to make sacrifices. Yes. Like, you can want to write about, like, wellness with a focus on death and dying. Mm -hmm. And there's 100% a 100 of market for that Absolutely. out there. But if you want to get clients fast and you want to make money fast, yeah. you're going to have to write about vitamins and supplements and yeah. meditation and cold plunges and bullshit before you find the editor that's like, I'm writing a book about death and dying. Yeah. Will you help me? Yeah. Right. And I think that's maybe where I am now is like, I think a lot of us maybe hit a time in our freelancing careers where we're like, okay, how do I buckle down here? How do I level up in a specific way? And not I think when you refuse to get good at something you hate, mm -hmm. you know, do yeah. not do that. I think also recognize that it's an experiment. Yeah. Like I used to wonder how I could get to the place that I'm at now. Last year you were like, I don't know if I could ever make that. And last year I was like, I don't think I could ever make $10,000 a month. Immediately made $10,000 a month. And I don't month. think I could break 70. <laughs> I don't think I could ever make $70,000 a year. I was like, I don't think Grammarly would ever hire me. And then I landed them. It's just choosing to take the risk for what you want and recognizing that when someone says no, it doesn't mean no. Yeah. It means not right now. The persistence element and using that no as an opportunity to go, okay, how can I get better at this? Yeah. Or like, what do they need to see? Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean asking them what they need to see. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. But like asking yourself, okay, what would make this more enticing for these people? Asking right? your community of freelancers, how can I be a more enticing option for these people? Totally. Yes. When you have other people to bounce it off of too, oh my god yeah. it's so much different yeah. like your pricing the little things where you're like i have to end contracts with, with somebody but i don't want to mm -hmm. hurt their feelings mm -hmm. and it's like it's this fucking business it has nothing to do with feelings but if you don't have the community to like have give you that feedback to keep you sort of on track it's hard oh my gosh i remember so right before you and i started working together right before i met you you know i started working with our mutual friend joanna and we were talking about freelancing and it was hilarious because you know i'd spent the last two years spending 20 hours in my room working and sleeping and like that was my whole life you know yeah um just scrambling to survive during the pandemic and like anxiety attacks falling apart whatever it took you know we made it yeah and so Joanna and I start sharing an office. I don't remember who started the sentence. I think it was me. And I was like, yeah, I've just found freelancing so, and at the exact same moment, I said isolating. And she said something about community and like so fulfilling and like so many friends. And I was like, what the hell? How? <laughs> like, she's also like, she could make friends with a fucking doorknob. True, like true. she yeah, could she make friends with anybody. And yeah. she had pop club and that was like really what. Oh yeah. She had me. never freelanced without pop yeah. club. So yeah. for her, it was always a community activity, mm -hmm. which is honestly, I wish that's how it was for me. That's literally Same. why I started pop club. Same. I was so lonely. I think the confidence, that's a <laughs> I'm gonna make friends. <laughs> gonna make friends make me their friends. I do think though 
that the confidence to be able to go to somebody who's been doing it for even just a couple more years than you and be like, this client only wants to pay this much. And then they'd be like, okay, how far along? Like they can yeah. look at the situation. How far along are you? Yeah. Should you take it for your clips? Like, do you need this? Yeah. Or them to say, don't take less than you're worth. Like, yeah. That's the best. Yeah. That's amazing. It's so helpful. I think the number one thing that people get out of Pop Club is being able to ask the questions to real people who are more experienced yeah. than them. The nice thing is we have like 50-50. So we have half half of people in Pop Club are over mm -hmm. a year mm -hmm. and half of people in Pop Club are under a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's like you can ask the question, like a question like that, like I feel like this isn't, I feel like I'm getting underpaid. Is that true? Mm -hmm. And people from all different ages of freelancing, essentially, like experience levels will be able to weigh in. Yeah. And it's so interesting. And some people have different ways of doing things. Like multiple people in Pop Club offer SEO strategy, but they all charge differently for it mm -hmm. or offer it differently as a package. And it's just a testament to like, your business is your business. Mm -hmm. You can do it however you want. You know, being able to talk about it just gives you that confidence of I'm not doing anything wrong. Approaching clients with confidence instead of desperation is just such a game changer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know what I have to offer. I know how much it's worth. If it's not for you, that's fine. Exactly. And you'll get paid more that way. And as soon as you walk away from someone who you weren't the right fit for, whether you were charging too much for their budget or you were not offering the skills that they wanted, as mm -hmm. soon as you walk away from that client, I swear to God, this happens every fucking time. The next day I'll get an email. Like I ended a contract with somebody this week that I was getting extremely frustrated about. I sent them an invoice for services rendered, even though I didn't finish the project. Okay. And I felt like so much tension about doing that, mm -hmm. even though I know it's the right thing to do and I'm following my contract, it mm -hmm. still feels tense. Kid you not, as soon as I push the button to send that email, another email came in from somebody who has referred me multiple times. He emailed me and was like, I know someone who's looking for a writer. Do you have any availability? And I was Stop. like, what the heck? Stop. What is this timing? For me, it's every time I'm like, I think I should quit. Yes. Within 48 hours, I get an email. Totally, <laughs> like, totally. It is gonna be fine, and we're gonna be fine. Yeah. And like, and there's also a solidarity level to that too, right? Like, if enough of us know what we're worth and refuse to be underpaid, that forces people to pay attention. Yeah, it levels the playing field yeah. across the board. I, you know, I do think low-paid entry-level work is gonna be necessary to some degree, unless you want to go work for an agency for a while or you know do something. You got to get experience somehow. Also, working for an agency is low paid entry level yeah, work. True. So, mm. but it shouldn't be poverty level. You know, these people who are true. paying a cent a word, like, I, I, no. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> no. So the more of us who can push back against that and not take work because we're desperate, the better it is for everybody, even the newbies. Yeah. We keep alluding to it, yeah. but we haven't talked about how we met. Yes. So my friend Joanna, I was moving back to North Carolina last year. Mm -hmm. My friend Joanna, who you just mentioned, mm -hmm. asked you to share an office with her. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Such a funny story. I had seen Joanna perform at an open mic night in like 2018, 2019. And Me and like, Joanna met doing stand-up comedy course, together of <laughs> it was one of her very first i remember her saying that and she gets up there and it's it was eyes up here this like woman in non-binary folks comedy set and she gets up there and does this set and i was like that's one of the funniest people i've ever heard in my whole life i would give anything to be friends with them and then never saw her again and when was know, that that, I, that was like 2018 2019 or 2019 it was pre-pandemic, I was living in Raleigh. I moved up to Durham. <laughs> Joanna's brother happened to live in the other half of my duplex. Joanna threw him a birthday party at our in our front yard and I did not connect it for ages. And so then the third time we finally met, 
we both had different like I remembered her from the comedy set she yeah. remembered me from the birthday which like I don't know why I guess because it was dark I did not connect all three of these humans in my head <laughs> <laughs> but I was so glad to be like oh we really hit it off that night I think I had talked about freelancing she was just getting started or something and we met at a third craft and draft night at Moondog and talking about freelancing talking about life she had this office I was trying to not be in my room again for 20 hours yeah. a day right like you work eight hours yeah. you sleep eight hours and then you also like have to clean your stuff yeah. for perspective Moondog is a block from my house yeah. and a block from the office yeah. that we used to share yeah. yeah so we started splitting an office and then you walked back into town and I was kind of it was another one of those like okay freelancing isn't serving me the way I want it to should I start looking around what do I do and you know talking to Joanna was really encouraging because she was doing great and then she got me connected to you and I signed up for pop club and we became actual friends yeah <laughs> yeah it was so nice I got to a point where like I have an office now because I live alone but when I had roommates I fucking needed that yeah. place it was yeah. amazing and also just like being able to know that I was gonna see you guys once or twice a week because I live alone has was so helpful yeah being able to just like talk about our stuff yeah it was like having coworkers. Yeah. It still is. We still hang out and work Absolutely. together. If you're listening to this and you're thinking about, <laughs> you've been thinking about doing coworking in any capacity, whether it's virtual coworking or renting an office or going to a coworking space, Get out of your 10 house. out of 10 recommend. Leave your house, guys. Leave your house. Yeah. The things it did. Go to a room. coffee shop and befriend the baristas oh. and sit at the bar. Yeah. We do that. That is now our thing. It's our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe hanging out with them tonight after work's over, you know. They did come to my going away party. Amazing. It was really sweet. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> yeah, we're all real friends too. I think once you go to somebody's house and you watch Shrek with them, you are real friends. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I couldn't have afforded it at the beginning, especially during the pandemic. I really count like my beginning to freelance end of 2019, early 2020. Cause that's when I was doing it for freelancing and not as a way to get into, you know, a newspaper or something. Sure, but, yeah. But I did not realize until I got out of my house how deeply it made me work better. I am so much more productive outside So my much house. more productive. There's a separation between work and life and like I have a better work-life balance. My mental health Sleep is better. better. Like every, it's all true and I hate that it's true, but <laughs> I'm gonna keep paying for an office as long as my rent is this low. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and if you can't afford an office, but you could afford like 30 or $40 a month, mm -hmm. do something like Flow Club mm -hmm. where you have the online co-working. I know it sounds weird and it's like intimidating at first. Like the mm -hmm. first Flow Club I did, I was like, this is fucking weird. I don't like it. Joanna's actually the one who told me to do flow club um, i ended up loving it and making friends with people online through that and we're all connected on linkedin now actually some of them have referred me to work and it's fun to show up and like the more you go the more you'll see familiar faces and you'll get to know people i actually ended up becoming a host for them i don't host for them anymore because i don't have time but when i could not leave my house because when i lived in maine mm -hmm. there was nowhere to go mm -hmm. <laughs> flow club saved me dude uh, <laughs> yeah i needed that or you know like Working from coffee shops can get expensive, but if you go to the same one enough, yeah, you might get a free coffee or two. And they won't, they won't care if you spend three dollars on coffee and then stay in a corner. Totally. Like if you find your spot, take some trial and error. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah. try to find a coffee shop if you can, if you have 
options find one that has a bar that you can sit at right mm -hmm. next to where they mm -hmm. make drinks and sit there and that's how you make friends <laughs> they will talk to you eventually yeah. or you can talk to them yeah. you don't necessarily i know i'm like an i'm an extrovert i'm an outgoing Same. person Same. i can't lie to you yeah. this might be bad advice if you're an introvert everybody needs friends yes and freelancing gets really lonely and isolating and a lot of baristas are extrovert if you are looking to be adopted by an extrovert yes great place to find them Truth. great place to find yes. them and they know everybody yes. because of their job uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. so they couldn't, you never know who they know. Yeah, get out of your dang house. Having Pop Club, honestly, virtual co-working stresses me out in a way that like having other bodies in the room doesn't. I don't know what it's it is. Interesting. It's <laughs> super weird. I haven't figured it out, but you know, having Pop Club, even though it is all virtual and having a place to go outside my house, I kept me freelancing yeah. and then like cool clients, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I, I needed the right environment for yeah. sure. Let's talk about travel. Yes. <laughs> Another thing we bonded over really quickly, you pull up in your van that you've been doing van life in and I was like, who is this? <laughs> She's so cool. It's so funny. Like, I don't think that I am cool most of the time. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and then the people like you're like, that is so cool and I'm like no. what? oh my god when people respond to the stories and you're like oh I thought that was a normal thing yeah that happens to me too constantly everybody we're just really cool we're so cool we're cooler than we think we are I just like I'll post on it like I don't know I just post stuff on Instagram and sometimes I comment it and I'm just like is this not normal is what I'm okay. doing not normal all right okay let's do you get let's take issue with one that is my least favorite thing uh-huh I wish I could do what you're doing. If it's you my want favorite to, comment. It's my least favorite. It's my favorite because I say, if you wanted if to, you, you wanted could. If you wanted to, you would. Yeah. It, it's straight up, if he wanted to, he would. That yeah. applies here too. Like my first internship, my very first job out of, out of school, I was a communications intern for International Justice Mission. Great organization doing anti-trafficking work. I got to go be in their Manila office after some visa issues with India. India did not let me into the country. So they sent me to Manila because they didn't have as tight of a visa process. Wow. Yeah. And I loved it. But the thing people kept saying to me over and over again was, wow, I wish I could do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So do it. Mm -hmm. You could. Mm -hmm. You have a year. We were all starting our careers. Go do it. The reason I got into van life, get this. I'm obsessed with YouTube. If you don't <laughs> personally okay. know me, you might not know this. I'm obsessed. I watch vloggers. I don't really watch TV anymore. I just watch vloggers on YouTube. I do actually want to, sorry, I don't, don't mean to totally cut you off. Yeah. I do want to acknowledge like there are levels. There is, there is There's privilege. There's levels of accessibility and privilege. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Thousand percent. Fully acknowledged. That's important. Yes. You know, other girls I went to school with were going to their consulting job mm -hmm. and you know, they didn't have chronic health issues. They probably had readier access to money than I did. And they were like, wow, I wish I could do what you could do. Like you can't. The majority of people who send me messages like that yeah. or who say these things yeah. to me are people who have the privilege and ability to do what I'm doing. Yeah. It's mindset and it's the choice to put in the work and it's the choice to learn how to do it and take a risk. That's the choice to learn. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think that there is, I'm not saying like, if you have chronic health problems, you yeah. have severe medical debt, yeah. you don't have support from your family, whatever, mm -hmm. you're in a much harder place. Mm -hmm. That is completely acknowledged. Yes. But if you're in another country, if you're not a native English speaker and yeah. you're trying to freelance for companies in these big three mm -hmm. countries, you're going to have a harder time. Yeah. It's just the truth. And obviously racial discrimination, ableism, like yes. there are so many things that make it harder. But the people I hear that from are the people who are just, who have convinced themselves that they can't 
and there wasn't a reason that they couldn't. Yeah, yeah they're holding themselves back. Yeah. yeah. I started van life. Yes. I started through hiking too because of YouTube. I do so. everything I do because of YouTube. <laughs> I am influenceable, man. Okay. Um, I went on a through hike because of Homemade Wanderlust. I will not say her channel name on this okay. podcast because it's not appropriate anymore. Mm-hmm. And I no longer follow her despite the fact that I do think that she has very valuable information for people. Um, She's a true Southerner. But she vlogged her whole AT hike and I was like, wow, this is cool. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized people were like helping their mental health problems Mm -hmm. with through hiking. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that is for me. Little did I know post-trail depression exists. Because this was post-working the Hillary campaign, right? Yeah, this was right after the Hillary campaign, which was (laughs) not good for my mental health. (laughs) Really bad, really bad, really bad time. And decided not to go to law school. Same, I had that same conversation with myself, yeah. But when I was in college, pre-Hillary campaign, pre-law school admissions test bullshit, (laughs) I was watching Eamon and Beck on YouTube, Mm -hmm. like right when I graduated from college. And I was like, I want to live in a van like them. And I had my heart so set on like a beautiful sprinter Mm -hmm. van that I could like build out myself and all these things. By the time I got home, I was like, I need to find a way to make money to yeah. do these things. Right. With through hiking, I knew I could just like keep being a barista, work at the local gear store, get discounts on gear and like mm-hmm. make just enough money to go, which mm-hmm. I did not make enough money. I have fundraised on trail. I have, <laughs> have problems. After that for van life, it took me like four years to get to the point of doing van life. And the only reason I got there, the only reason I continued to freelance at that point was to do van life. Yeah. I actually almost quit freelancing last year because I decided I didn't want to do van life anymore. And I was like, what's the point of this? What am I doing? Yeah, Yeah, I had like so closely tied it because it was the beginning of my career was like Mm -hmm. right when I stopped through hiking. I started freelancing to get through hiking money. And then when I got home, I started doing it to do van life. And it was never like a career in itself for me. It was always just a vehicle to go do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I am such a proponent of working to live, not living to work. And so, Anyway, watch some YouTube. But I used to see comments all the time on YouTube of people being like, I really wish I could do that. And I was like, why do people do this? Yeah. My mindset was always, I will do that. I will fight tooth and nail. I will fucking figure it out. Mm-hmm. I started freelancing when I came home from the Appalachian Trail. I was living in a 1960s camper trailer <laughs> in my parents' backyard in Maine mm-hmm. in the winter <laughs> with one wood stove and one extension cord run from my parents' house to this trailer that powered our one lamp and my laptop occasionally. There was only one coffee shop open besides the Starbucks that I used to work at that I was too humiliated to go to because I felt embarrassed that I was trying to start a freelance career. Don't feel embarrassed, people. Oh my God. Do not. But I didn't want to go there, so I go to the other coffee shop, the only other one. They were only open from 6 a.m. to to like 5 p.m. And it was dark at like 3. So I would go to that coffee shop and work the entire time they were open. And then I would come home Mm -hmm. and either work offline or work on my hotspot in this trailer (laughs) with the wood stuff. It was awful. It was like actual hell. I had no money Uh, and that's actually how I ended up in North Carolina I moved here because the boy I was living with in that trailer his mom is from Durham two of you lived two of us one outlet two of us (laughs) correct it was nuts we moved to North Carolina to live with his mom Mm -hmm. and I was like why don't we do this all along your mom has a house dude like a whole house anyway I'm just saying like I didn't have any money yes I had my parents support I had a place to live despite the fact that it was not great. I was working off of like a Chromebook that I got for $100 on Amazon. I truly believe most people can do this. It's a matter of wanting to and being persistent, Yeah, doing it. 
I think at its best, freelancing offers opportunities to people that they might not otherwise have. You know, I do know people with chronic illnesses who this is the only way they can afford to live is working on their schedule and being contractors, you know, and like there are definitely people who are like not compatible Mm -hmm. with freelancing. It's Mm -hmm. true. And there are definitely people who are barred from it because of privilege and racism Mm -hmm. and prejudice and all these things. But it's, I think the I wish I could do that is just so... Just I don't want to hear it. Don't tell, don't ever say that to me. <laughs> there, There is no try, right? There's, there, there's, there's only there's do. Only do. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah, it's usually such a wistful thing from somebody who's just scared to give up what they already have, I think. Yeah. That's what, what gets me about it. But Gets my goat. Oh, my gosh. I want to talk about working while traveling yeah and how you like set expectations and you've traveled with friends while working as well Mm -hmm. and all of that how do you do that okay so traveling and working number one thing is know yourself and know your capacity and number two thing is set expectations if you're going with people at first traveling and working was because I couldn't afford to just go on vacation yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) like I had to take it with me to some degree and The nice thing about freelancing is I've always been able to be like, hey, this client, I'm out of town this week and keep another one going, you know? And so I think back to some of my very earliest clients, like 2017. Yeah, I'd just been in Asia with with working an office job, but spending all my weekends traveling. And, you know, I was working in the Philippines, which is a very Catholic country. Not only, obviously, but the the work schedule is really built around long, long holidays for a lot of different religious holidays. So I was able to leave for longer trips then. My first work experience, I went to 10 countries that year and it was the best. In my mind, you could do that. Mm -hmm. You could make both happen. And that is a thing freelancing kind of was like a means to an end at first. But when I started doing that, you know, I went, um, I I mentioned I got those first two clients and immediately went to Europe. I had to do it cheap because, and I had to keep working because yeah, there was no way that I could do one or the other. I stayed at a bookstore that I had volunteered at during my study abroad and like I stayed there for free as a work exchange and slept on an army cot or a bed that everybody shared (laughs) just depended on who got it that night um, at this you know legendary old bookstore in Paris and then stayed with a friend I had met in the Philippines who was Danish like went to Copenhagen and stayed at her house you know like I kept things as cheap as possible I knew going in what deadlines I had to what deadlines I had to meet and it was a lot of trial and error at first I tried to do way too much I thought I could work a full day and do tourism you cannot do that no absolutely absolutely not not. I learned that the hard way in the van (laughs) you're working half days at most and I went you know did those early trips the first one I did with a friend and we'd just been traveling Asia together I didn't know to tell her like you're gonna be by yourself a good amount of the time and it worked out fine we're still friends I'm headed to her wedding in a couple months like Mm -hmm. we're still really close but I didn't know enough to set the right boundaries so know that you're only gonna work half days like you are maybe you kill one day but especially if you're traveling fast it's not gonna happen no absolutely not if you're staying in a place for a month okay you can work a whole day maybe once a week you're gonna work half days the rest of the time I'd say plan to work around 15 hours yeah I was doing 17 hours a week in the van okay and that was relatively manageable I went on probably four or five adventures a week and I was in a new 
city or state at least every month, if not every two weeks. Yeah. I and mean, even that was like a little hard. I'm not going to lie. I got, I got a little burned out. I got a little burned out. But it was manageable. And if I had taken more actual full days off to just like rest and recuperate, I think it would have been fine. Yeah. Know your hours are going to be limited, even if you think they're not going to be. And prepare the people you're going with for you to disappear for a little bit. So no, yeah. go with independent friends. Don't go with friends who are going to get mad. Um, yeah. But honestly, setting expectations with friends is like the number one rule of all travel with friends. Yeah. Like, this year has been my most successful year of traveling and working. Spent a month in Mexico at the beginning of the year. A, because I know the beginning of the year is my slow season. Mm -hmm. So like I knew I could do that and work less and be fine. I worked even less than I thought I was going to work though, <laughs> let's be real. And left with very conflicted feelings about the impact of tourism on the Yucatan Peninsula. And then the summer I went to Portugal for two weeks and a week of that was vacation with friends. You know, I think I maybe answered emails once or twice during our nap times. Um, we were so in sync as tourists. It was amazing. We all needed the same nap times. And then the second week I worked, but, and I, and I got probably two or three articles turned in, but all that was stuff I had done as much as I could before. You're going to work extra leading up to it and that's good because it means you can take less time off. And then I had one month in between the Portugal trip and two weeks in Japan. Those are the first two consecutive weeks I've taken off since I started freelancing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I've worked four years straight to get up to that point, but it felt good. And I, I say took off, but like I was reading books for work and I yeah. did turn in one article that I wrote on the trip, like, and I killed myself on the month in between working double time. Yeah. Um, and it was fully worth it. Absolutely worth it. Get to it, know it. It's, it's okay for you to sacrifice too. It is. For that that particular yeah. thing yeah. yeah absolutely worth it i would ugh, don't plan travel during high season i took a road trip last august and i got offered a four thousand dollar like rush project that would yeah. have taken a day or two yeah, you couldn't do and it. i was in a car yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Know when your low seasons are and, and schedule around that. It's yeah. also probably going to be. I think like busy season and slow seasons, everybody has their like prescriptive. Like I saw Alex Catoni from the Coffee Posse. I've like taken classes from her before, but I follow her on social media and she posted a whole thing about how like summer's slow season or whatever. And I was Whoa. like, who are you talking yeah, to? That is not true for me at all. And I don't think that's true for most people in pop clubs. So I thought it was really funny because yeah. obviously she and maybe her students are experiencing that. Mm -hmm. So no one your slow season yes. is. I think sometimes it's industry dependent yes. too. Oh like my gosh, yeah. literature ha follows a pretty specific when there's going to be a lot of promos Ball is like CD. pretty obvious. Yeah. yeah. You know when the book fairs are and like all these things with travel depending on what region you're in or what region you're writing about there's very obvious seasons. Mm -hmm. Also if you're writing about travel and you want to be busy year round talk to local travel and tourism boards and figure out when their busy yeah. travel season is yeah. and just get one in each of their you know what I mean? Dude. But like there's ways to be strategic and you need to pay attention. I did for a while I was doing all nonprofit communications which again good work that I felt good about but not at the end of the day what I was I, I want to do some but it was all of my work and yeah. I didn't have any books writing work and I was yeah. like I, I want both. Yeah. So when that was all of my work, I didn't stop working from July, July, August, September, October, November. Yeah. And then I didn't hear from anybody for four to five months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's just second half of the year, heavy emphasis on fall. Like it totally depends yeah. on industry. 
intact. I don't have work pretty much from October to March. Mm -hmm. I have, if they're like consistent blog clients that are like, sure. we want two blog posts a month. Yeah. But nobody yeah. is tapping into bigger creative budgets. There will be no eBooks. There will be no new email mm -hmm. series. There's no like website revamps, mm -hmm. nothing. Because their budget in quarter four and quarter one are locked and you have to get in early. <laughs> Perfect yeah, so it's like, I know that now, but I remember when I first started, I was like, wow, yeah. why am I screwed right now? Like I had one Thanksgiving and the whole time, like I just want to enjoy being with my family, of course. And the whole time I was just freaking out about like yes. work and getting clients and there's nothing I could do about it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, I just didn't know that it was slow season. <laughs> Poor baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, same. I did that my first couple years too. Like, yeah, I can't wait to go home and spend a month with the family for the holidays working my ass off. Yeah. But yeah, so know when your slow seasons are, set expectations for yourself, for the people you're going with, and then like, oh my gosh, the resources out there. I knew I was going to be working in Lisbon. Okay, great. I can look up. Where do people go co-work in Lisbon? How's the internet? What can I expect? Like, There are entire like co-working hotels mm -hmm. and hostels now, oh, which is pretty cool. There's one in Sicily I want to go to so bad. Yeah. I want to spend, it's like a all-women co-working space in Sicily. Cute. You want to go? What? Yeah, of course I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are so many resources now I feel like those are like you know that last one do your homework is pretty obvious but I don't think people think about it yeah I didn't do my homework when I was on the road very much in the van I relied a lot on just like asking strangers at parks I would walk Bonnie mm -hmm. and people would always be like oh my god is it a cat can I pet it and it was great because I would be like hey where should I go around here yeah. you know yeah. but later on when I when I got back from that trip, I was like, oh my God, I wish I did my homework. I missed so many things in this one yeah. place that would have been so cool. Or like, it would have been so much less stressful if I just had an idea of what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. Because the decision fatigue when you're traveling can get really bad. And it's very easy to not think about that yes. until you're exhausted. I don't know about you, but there have been times that I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna get this article done and see everything I wanna see here. And like, yeah, no, no shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you're making choices, you're making sacrifices. It's for me, the calculation always lands in, it's better to be there and see what I can and be thinking about, you know, my clients yeah. than it is to like either go or not go. Like, I don't yes. want to wait until I'm totally free. This like, this trip to Japan was a total fluke that I was able to do it and it did take absolute double time. Ooh, also do not, if you get work done in an airport, that's a bonus. Do not plan to do work in the Oh airport. my God, never <laughs> plan to do work in the airport. I always used to plan to do work in the airport. I was in a long distance relationship as you know for a very long time I was on a plane two to four times a month mm -hmm. and I constantly would be like I'm gonna do work at the airport I never did work at the airport no. it fucking sucked on planes it's horrible it's awful it's horrible do not expect it so I some always... people like it if you like it do it but don't expect it I've gotten a good amount of done of work done at airports mm -hmm. but it was it was a bonus it was yeah. me working ahead usually and not oh my gosh I have to get this turned in I'm gonna die airports are for reading yeah. sleeping and eating junk food <laughs> feeling pissed about the Everything. way human are travel like cattle I don't know I don't know man breathing for a map I hope y'all loved this episode as much as I do finding freelance friends has been life-changing for me and I know most of our pop club members feel the same way it's so magical to find people who understand what you're going through and who want to grow together and who share your passion for entrepreneurship and travel. 
On the next episode, we take a deep dive into travel, budgeting, and Shelby's tips for freelancers who want to travel. You're not going to want to miss it, I promise. And if you're looking for more info on the apps and tools that we mentioned, check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about in this episode. You can find Shelby on Instagram and Substack at polk.fiction. Her website is shelbypolk.com. This podcast was created and produced by Rachel Meltzer. The music is by Ketza from the Free Music Archive. You can find more information about the resources discussed in this podcast in the show notes below or on our blog at meltzerseltzer.com slash blog. That's M-E-L-T-Z-E-R-S-E-L-T-Z-E-R.com slash blog. Also, while you're here, did you know that I offer courses and coaching for new freelance writers? Check it out at meltzerseltzer.com slash coaching.